0: While you're turning to our scripture passage today, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, I recall a time when I was doing a Bible study on, it was actually the Gospel of John, but similar. And it was at the beginning of my ministry, the first few years, it was at Florida State University. I went to a fraternity house, the ATO fraternity house, there, and I brought in a stack of Bibles because. Uh, almost nobody there had a Bible, but they were willing to to have a Bible study in their common area, and it was really refreshing. You know, I'd bring this stack of Bibles in, and uh, people had very little background with the Bible or church or anything, and 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 that had no stigma. They were just really excited. I remember a guy in there going, "Hey, Bud, come over here. You know, we're studying the Bible," and so they just have people come in, and we'd open the Bible. And I, and I gave one guideline. I said, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John on the life of Jesus. And we're going to, we're going to try to determine what the Gospel of John, what John says about Jesus, who he is, and how um, we should respond to him. And I said... There's only one ground rule. We're not going to debate every week whether it's true or not, because in their classes, their religion classes, they're being taught that there are errors in in the Bible. And I said, we're just going to we're just going to go through and look what John says here. And so you might be kind of here today in that boat. You might be uh, without very, very little background of scripture. You might be somewhat skeptical. And that's great. We're very glad that you're here. And so just. Take this as uh, the gospel of Mark. Mark is, again, teaching us um, who is this Jesus and how are we to respond to him. And we'll see how different people respond in uh, positive and negative ways and how you might respond in your own life to Jesus Christ. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. Now, as we begin to read your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and soften our hearts uh, to the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Mark, chapter three, beginning with verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. and I do- and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they, may, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, who betrayed him. Well, we. See today, by looking at this passage, the responses to Jesus Christ and how we should respond to him as well. And people respond to him in several ways. They respond to him because he's popular. They respond to him because he's a healer. They respond to him because he is the son of God. And in and of uh, those items are not in and of themselves sufficient. We need to respond to Jesus as his disciple. We'll take a look at that and see why that is necessary. In the summer of 1966, John Lennon famously or infamously said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And that led to a firestorm here in the United States. For those of you who are too young to remember, in fact, that's what really uh, led to the, the Beatles not touring anymore was after after that comment and the response that they got in America um, and so um, it was 1970. Uh, 1970, there was the rock opera that came out a few years later called Jesus Christ Superstar. It was wildly popular. It was turned into a Broadway musical of the same name, Jesus Christ Superstar. And so the, the, uh, the Christian rock artist Larry Norman, in response both to John Lennon and the reality of Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, penned these words in a song And he said this, this time last year, people didn't want to hear. They looked at Jesus from afar. This year, he's a superstar. Dear John, who's more popular now? I've been listening to Paul's records. I think he really is dead. Some of you will get that last comment. Um, Well, what's all the hubbub about the popularity of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he was popular. That's what we see in the text here. He was really becoming popular Verses three and seven, he withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So you'll recall, if you were here previously, as we talked about, the ministry of Jesus Christ was pretty much relegated to the area in northern uh, Israel called Galilee around the Sea of Galilee to the to the west. And what we have here is this expansion of people coming from all over Israel. They come from Tyre and Sidon, which is north of Galilee. And they come from across the Jordan, which is to the east. And they come from Judea and Jerusalem, which is to the south. And Idumea, who is even farther south. And they're all coming to Jesus. And Jesus is by uh, the lake there. And people are coming to him. Uh, Jesus has gone viral Um, Who's the most popular person on Instagram right now? Do you know? It is Cristiano Ronaldo, a soccer player. He's got 415 million followers. And uh, he's really good at kicking a soccer ball into a net. And he's got a lot of a lot of popularity. Uh, But what we see here in our text is Jesus did not come to win a popularity contest. It's not why he came. And it's insufficient for you or me or anybody to, um, to come to Jesus, to receive Jesus, to follow Jesus, because he's popular. And what we'll find in the Gospel of Mark is his popularity wanes. And uh, perhaps you, and I'm speaking to you students, uh, maybe uh, you are around people uh, like your church here and others who find Jesus to be great and awesome And um, and exciting. We're excited about Jesus. And if it hasn't happened yet, you're going to find that someday Jesus is not going to be so popular. That people aren't really going to be excited about him. They're either going to be anti-Jesus or they're just not going to care that much about Jesus. And so for you and for me, we need to follow Jesus for a reason other than the fact that he is popular. Now, why was Jesus popular? We find out that he was popular because he was a healer. He healed people. You know, if if there was a doctor, a specialist, maybe the best in the country in any field, oncology, you know, maybe orthopedics or uh, pediatrics or whatever that could heal 75% of any health problem, they would be wildly popular. You couldn't get to see them. Their office would be completely booked. All the time. And so people came from far and wide to be healed by Jesus. We see that beginning about halfway through Mark 3, verse 8, through verse 10. When the crowd, the great crowd, heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd, of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. They just wanted to touch Jesus Touching Jesus could lead to their healing of all these various diseases, so much so that Jesus said, we need to get a boat ready because I I may need to get in that boat uh, for my own physical safety. Now, if you are young and healthy, you might not understand this, uh, the urgency that people have uh, when they have sicknesses and the desire to be healed. Uh, This was reported, I believe it was this week, by CBS News. Doctors announced Thursday they had successfully performed a double lung transplant on a patient with terminal lung cancer, giving new hope to others who also have advanced stages of the deadly disease. Albert Albert Corey, a 54-year-old Chicagoan, underwent a seven-hour surgery to receive new lungs. His oncologist said six months after the transplant, We're thrilled with Albert's progress. He doesn't require oxygen and is leading a normal life. He's now able to work, go to the gym without requiring breathing support. He said, my life went from zero to 100. You didn't see the smile on my face for over a year, but now I can't stop smiling. That's what's going on. People are coming to Jesus. They want to go from zero to 100. They want to receive their hearing. They want to receive their sight. They want to receive whatever. They want to be made well again. And it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing, but it's not a big enough reason to follow Jesus. See, Jesus' healing ministry was a foretaste of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. Jesus in his person was the announcement of the kingdom of God. And one day, the Bible says that the kingdom will come in finality... And that kingdom will include a new heavens, a new earth. Uh, We'll have uh, resurrected, renewed bodies. There'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow. The old order will pass away. And so we look forward to that time. And Jesus coming and healing people was a foretaste and a sign that the kingdom had come. And it also authenticated The preaching that he was making at the time that repent and believe the good news because the kingdom has come. You know, there are many people today that follow Jesus because he's a healer. And they believe that Jesus in general is just going to take all their problems away. So they come to Jesus in faith and follow him for that reason. American Christianity has as its number one export a theology called the Health and Wealth Prosperity Gospel. It's not the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. And you'll recall in an earlier sermon, I spoke of Peter coming to Jesus after his first uh, mass healing event. And everybody was looking for Jesus. He was out in the wilderness. Peter found him. Hey, come on, Jesus. They're ready for more. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to go to other towns. Because I need to preach there. That's why I've come. He didn't come primarily to heal. And there is this prosperity gospel that teaches that of necessity, if you have faith, that God will heal you through Jesus Christ. Here's how the British scholar Stephen Hunt explained it. Uh, In the forefront is the doctrine of the assurance of divine physical health and prosperity through faith. In short, this means that the health and wealth are an automatic divine right of all Bible believing Christians and may be procreated by faith as part of the package of salvation, since the belief is that the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but the removal of sickness and poverty. Like I said, American Christianity has exported this around the world like Coca Cola, it's everywhere. Um, And that's one of the reasons, parenthetically, that I'm glad we support the ministry of Third Millennium. Third Mill is seminary in a box that goes out to the entire world, to to multiple languages all over the world, and uh, teaches uh, students in preparation for leadership and to lead churches. uh, Good, solid theology. And also, um, Bob Hayes just came back from Uganda And again, just an opportunity as he goes and preaches the truth uh, to counter some of that teaching in Uganda as well. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. And people pack into churches around the world because they're excited about Jesus giving them health and wealth. And as it were, they crowd around Jesus so that they might receive this from him. Now, we do believe in the reality of healing. Uh, I prayed for people earlier uh, today in the pastoral prayer. We pray that people would be healed. Some of you have come looking out there. I see some of you have contacted me and say, pray for me, pastor. Right. I pray and we pray for each other and we send out prayer requests to people in the church that we as a body might pray for one another. We have a Tuesday morning prayer group. By the way, if you're interested in in, uh, coming to a Tuesday morning, 730 a.m. prayer meeting, let me know. We do that uh, every week. Uh, we pray for people. Um, the book of James. James says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church and have them come and anoint you with oil and pray over you. We will do that for you if you request it. If you request healing, a prayer and anointing with oil, we, we have done it and we would do it. Um, my granddaughter, it was over a year ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but she had a, a, was in serious pain and difficulty and went to the ER Um, And she was there with my son and daughter-in-law. And um, uh, I got to the ER and I said, um, and they said, she's going to have to have surgery most likely. And um, I said, has anybody prayed for her? And they said, no. And I said, okay, well, how about me? So I prayed. And uh, interestingly enough, she was kind of whimpering. And then she stopped whimpering right after the prayer. And um, the doctor came in. the doctor said, Well, good to go. Go home. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm some kind of faith healer, right? It's not automatic, but we believe that God can do that. But it's not automatic and it's not a promise of God. It's not a guarantee to the follower of Jesus that he's going to solve all of your physical problems, right? It's not enough to follow Jesus because he's a healer. Interestingly enough, it's not enough to simply respond to Jesus as the Son of God. It's not enough. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Let me put it this way. It's possible to respond to Jesus in the wrong way as the Son of God. We find here, and we found earlier, that there are unclean spirits that actually know who Jesus is. They call him the son of God. In fact, they know better than anybody else on planet Earth at that time who Jesus is, who his identity is. And it's not enough to simply believe the fact that he is the son of God. Now, I want to say this, too. If, if you were not here for the sermon on Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, that was uh, March 6th, where I went into some detail about unclean spirits and demonic powers and Satan. Again, you might think that's really strange. You know, I'm uh, not, uh, kind of imagining in my head the exorcist movie with head spinning and whatnot. Um, please go back. I would encourage you. You can find that on our uh, website church website and on our Facebook page. I won't go into all the detail except to say, yes, the Bible teaches that there are spiritual forces. There are spiritual entities called unclean spirits, called demons, that there is an adversary by the name of Satan and that Jesus had authority over those demonic powers. We learned that earlier as we studied here. And they, in fact, were the ones that said, you are the son of God. Mark 3, 11 and 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, people have said, commentators have said um, that perhaps what the, the demonic spirits were doing at that point, that was they had the belief that if they could call out his name, that they could somehow have power over Jesus. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but they clearly did not. And, And some have said that the reason why Jesus shut them down from speaking was he didn't want the adversary being the one to announce who he was to the population. And perhaps that's true. I don't know. But what's clearly acknowledged here is they did not have faith in Jesus. They believed he was the son of God. You know, James chapter 2, verse 19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They believed he was God. They believed he was God's son. Come to earth. They shuddered. They didn't trust in him. He was not their savior. He was not their Lord. So they knew who he was, but that wasn't enough. They knew better than anybody that Jesus was the son of God incarnate. They believed that this was true, but they lacked faith in the son of God as their savior and king. I remember years ago when I was traveling after college, I was in Seattle and got involved in a church there and met somebody who was, uh, who was in the church. He was really uh, inquiring about Christianity and the Bible and and um, we got together and talked uh, one day for lunch, and he said to me, he said, I believe that um, what the Bible says about Jesus is true. I believe, I believe all of it's true, but I can't believe in Jesus. I can't put my faith in Jesus. You don't hear that often. But that is essentially where the demons were. They believed that Jesus was God's son. But they did not trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So what's required? What's necessary? What's the proper response to Jesus? Well, we respond to Jesus as his disciple. And we see this in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. All the other responses to Jesus. Watch who responds. And he appointed 12 Whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, first thing to understand is Jesus has the authority to appoint and to make disciples, right? He has the power. The word there for appointed in Mark 3.14 is normally simply translated made, He certainly did appoint the 12 apostles, but he made them disciples. He had the power to do that. He had the power to constitute them as disciples. Remember, last week we found out that Jesus had authority. He was Lord of the Sabbath, and prior to that, we found out that he had authority over the unclean spirits, the demonic powers. And Here we find that he has the authority to initiate and to call and to make disciples out of the mass of humanity that is following him. He calls some and he makes them his disciples. And he calls them to do two things as his disciples. He calls them to a relationship to himself and he calls them to a task. Mark three fourteen, so that they might be with him, right? He called them to be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So he gave them authority, gave them a task to preach the same gospel he was preaching and to have authority over the demonic powers. Now, these 12 men, in some sense, stand for all of God's people, all of Israel. The number 12 is a very important number in the Bible. And we find, go to the book of Revelation, we see the connection between the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it stands as leadership of the whole. In some ways, this 12 is a very distinct group, right? They've been vested with authority that is unique as apostles. They are, they are uh, capital A apostles. It says he designated them as apostles. We think of apostle as, as, well, the 12 apostles, but apostle was a word that meant sent out. They were the sent out ones. That's why he designated them as apostles. He was going to send them out with a particular task. But they, in the book of Mark in particular, when it says disciples, usually it's maybe always speaking of the 12 apostles. Now, when you look beyond that in the other gospels and the book of Acts, Christians are called disciples. Disciples. There are actually some others that are called apostles. The apostle Paul is uppercase apostle. One untimely born, he said, he saw the risen Jesus Christ in a vision uh, but the rest of the apostles in Scripture are lowercase apostles. That is, they are sent out by a church for a particular purpose. And so the point is, these 12 are distinctly called out by Jesus. And yet, we, like they, are disciples. And if we would relate to Jesus in the way that God calls us to, in the way that is consistent with the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, we would answer his call to be his disciple. And we come to his, we come to him as his disciple by responding to him in faith by believing by believing the good news that he is the king of a kingdom and that kingdom has begun in his death and his resurrection and will be culminated in perfection. And the, the appropriate response is to listen to him and to repent of our sins, to admit that we have sinned and that there is going to be a judgment, a day of judgment. And that we want to trust and we do trust and believe in Jesus as our Savior, who will save us from the penalty of our sins. And that he will bring us into fellowship and restored fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is calling us to himself. No longer strangers. We're part of his disciples. And then he sends the spirit of Christ into our hearts. The word of God rings in our ears. The word of Christ rings in our ears as the Bible is read, as we read it. The spirit of God uh, enables us to live out this relationship with Jesus Christ. God's word to us. The spirit of God in us. Dialoguing with Jesus in prayer in a true relationship. We are his disciple. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is our savior. So don't simply follow Jesus because he's popular or because he's a healer or even simply because you know certain true things about Jesus. We follow him in relationship. We follow him in everything he asks us to do. First, the relationship, then the task, right? That's how it works. He calls us to himself. We're saved by grace through faith. We don't do anything to merit it. The disciples didn't come to Jesus. Jesus said, you come to me. I'm asking you to come and be my disciples. Andrew Peterson speaks of this relationship well and the relationship between relationship and What we do for Jesus in a song, he says, well, now it's time to harvest what little that grew. This man they call Jesus who planted the seeds has come for the fruit and the best that I've got isn't nearly enough. He's glad for the crop, but it's me that he loves. Just as I am, just as I was, just as I will be, he loves me. He does. He showed me that the day that he shed his own blood. He loves me. Oh, he loves me. He does. So we have a relationship first with God based on grace through faith, not of works. But then later in Ephesians, it says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he calls us to himself and by grace, we live with him by grace. We have a relationship with him uh, all on the basis of his initiation, his initiative, what he's done in our lives. And then he gives us mission and we work out that mission, not in some sort of fitful earning of our way into the good graces of God and the good graces of Christ. No, we've received that. Now we work for him joyfully and we've got purpose and meaning. We come with a task as his disciple. One of the things we do is we speak the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we find that those who were scattered by persecution did what? Those that were scattered went about preaching the word. This was after Jesus died, after his resurrection, after his ascension. Acts chapter 11, 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, upon coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We find this expansion as the people of God, first, not the apostles, but the rank and file disciples of Jesus Christ, normal people. When they're persecuted. They leave and they just talk about Jesus where they go. And people believe the good news of Jesus Christ. So don't be ashamed of Jesus. You don't have to be a trained speaker. Just live out your life. You have a relationship with him. You are his disciple. And the Lord has specifically gifted you and every disciple for tasks given for his kingdom's sake. We see examples of this gifting in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Love, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So God has equipped us and we find in first Corinthians, for instance, these are called gifts of the spirit. He's gifted you in certain ways as the body of Christ, the members of Christ to be about the tasks that the church is called to uh, through the particular gifting that he's given you. I just I read recently um, R.C. Sproul talked about he is a theologian, um, gone on to be with the Lord, but um, God's used him in many people's lives. And he was, uh, after he became a Christian, he was um, relieved to know uh, that he didn't have to have the gift of evangelism. Okay, That doesn't mean he didn't do evangelism. It just meant that he would tell people about Jesus and, They just didn't seem to be coming to Jesus all the time. And so he was really discouraged. And then he realized that he had the gift of teaching. And so that didn't mean he didn't tell people about Jesus and God didn't use the gospel in people's lives. It just meant he had a specific uh, gifting that God had called him to. And same is true for you. Um, I've been I've been called to be the pastor of the church. And that has meant over the last three and a half years that I have learned about contracts, and I have learned about trusses, and I have learned about FEMA, and, uh, and in a sense, what I've tried to do for three and a half years is started to more and more and more uh, not do those things and have others do those things, and graciously, many of you have done that, and uh, why is that? Because... Uh, that- I don't know how to do that stuff. Right. I'm not the guy you want doing that. I remember one time we were dealing with FEMA stuff and and negotiating contracts. And I was like, you do not want your pastor doing this. Right. But some of you ought to be doing that for the good of the kingdom. Some of you are called in service. Some of you have both a heart of mercy and a head for mercy. You know how to do that. How do we take care of each other in the church? Um, And so we together come together as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we understand we have tasks that we're called to do by Jesus. And that should that should free you up and that should thrill you that you have purpose in this life. We're not just kind of sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back As, as much as we do that. We know that he's given us a task to live for him as his disciples in whatever way he is. Uh, equipped you to be part of this endeavor of, of letting people know about the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing them into relationship with him, that they too might be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, we find here that the call of discipleship is the characteristic that unites all his disciples. You know, what brought them together? It was simply his call to discipleship. We find here in uh, beginning with Mark 3, 16, we, have, we find here Simon, the rock Peter. Uh, Peter, that means the rock. Um, and interestingly enough, he's he is far from steady and consistent. He's far from that immovable rock. And yet uh, he would be an important foundational disciple in the life of the church. And this, I think, tells us that God will use us in ways um, That it's not about about how good I am or how wonderful I am, even how gifted I am, that God can use me um, and he can get glory in it. Just as he got glory in Peter, the rock, who um, fluctuated quite a bit in his life, as evidenced in the Bible. We find here James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name of Boanerges. Sons of Thunder. Now, this is probably a little bit more consistent with their personality, as we see examples of that in Scripture. They uh, seem to be quite fiery. Um, And that's, again, not always a positive trait. Verse 18, others, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew. That's Levi, the tax collector we heard about last week. Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. So there's a lot of variety here among the disciples. One interesting thing, as I mentioned before, you don't find any uh, religious leaders. You don't find Pharisees. You don't find scribes. You don't find priests. Um, You just find people coming together, non-religious people, non-religious leadership called to be disciples. And you find some people here, you know, you might say, which of these two don't belong together? One of them is Matthew. Matthew. Again, we found out something about Matthew Levi last week, and he would have been despised as a um, as a traitor, as somebody who was in league with Rome. And uh, he would take taxes of his fellow Jews for Rome. And as we found out from other parts of Scripture, all part of what the tax collectors did was they skimmed uh, for themselves. And so they were particularly despised as those that were um, traitors. And then you have this reference to Simon the Zealot. Now, some commentators believe that Simon the Zealot was just a zealous guy. You know, he was a zealous religious person. Um, but more likely, the zealot there is the description of somebody that existed at that time. A zealot was somebody who was against the Romans in Israel and was in favor of violently overthrowing the Romans. So you had Simon the Zealot, who was in favor of violently overthrowing the Romans in the 12 with Matthew, the tax collector, who was in league with Rome. Why would they come together? Only because of one thing. Jesus Christ called them to be disciples. He calls you and me to be disciples. There are people that you might find quite different. You might say, why would God call that person to be part of our church or to be a Christian? They are rather strange or I don't like what they think. And they're thinking about you. Why would God call this person to be part of the church or to be a Christian? Because they're so different than I am. And the reality is that that's the wonder of the kingdom of God, that he brings us Together, he unifies us in discipleship with Jesus Christ. And then finally, we see introduced here, last and least, is Judas Iscariot in verse 19 with the description who betrayed him. And so we see an inkling of what is yet to come in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has authority to call you into a saving relationship with himself. And today... He is calling you into a saving relationship with himself. Right. What is God? How has God gifted me? He has gifted me as a preacher. And so I'm preaching to you today on behalf of Jesus, his call to you to be his disciple. It's not simply an option. It's not simply an offer, though it is. It's a wonderful offer. It's a free offer. A free offer of right relationship with God and eternal life and a life of discipleship and meaning. Jesus is calling you today. It's more than just an offer. First Peter 417. This is the context of persecution that the early church was going through. They're going through difficulty for if it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? He said, we're going through all this difficulty. If this is true for us right now, what's it going to be like on Judgment Day for those who do not obey the gospel? There is a call to repent, to confess your sins and to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you merit by coming to Jesus. You simply trust in his merit. But it is nevertheless not simply an option. So. In light of that, in light of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I implore you today. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It happens when you simply admit your sin, admit your guilt, confess it, trust in him, realize that he has done everything necessary to secure that reconciliation now and for all eternity and come and know what it's like to begin to be his disciples. And for some of you, perhaps even right now, you placed your faith in Jesus and you have become for the first time his disciples. Disciple responding to him, but for perhaps for some of you, uh, this is a call to renew that commitment to be with Jesus, to serve Jesus, to realize that you have been called by Jesus to be his disciples. R.C. Sproul has talked about the task that he has given to us as his disciples. Jesus has. He says the Great Commission is the call of Christ for his disciples to extend his authority over the whole world. We are to share the gospel with everyone so that more people might call him master. This calling is not simply a call to evangelism, nor is it a call to get students for our seminaries and our colleges. Rather, Christ calls us to make disciples Disciples are people who have committed in their hearts and their minds to follow the thinking and conduct of the master forever. Such discipleship is a lifelong experience. When we're involved in discipleship, we do not graduate until we get to heaven. Discipleship is a lifelong experience of learning the mind of Christ and following the will of Christ, submitting ourselves in complete obedience to his lordship. Thus when Jesus tells us to go to all nations, we are to go into all the world with his agenda, not our own. The great commission calls us to flood this world with the knowledgeable, articulate with knowledgeable, articulate Christians who worship God and follow Christ Jesus passionately. So Jesus Christ calls you to a relationship with himself and a purpose as his disciple. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that Jesus Christ has come and that you have revealed him to us in your word. And Father, we want to know Jesus Christ. We want to be his disciple. We've come to you in faith today. And I pray, Father, again, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would respond in faith and repentance and that we would know what it means to be reconciled to you. We'd know the wonder of the foundation of our relationship with you through Christ and him alone and that he would be our Lord and master, that we would follow him as his disciple and that you would give us meaning in this life. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.